One of the things he's been up to that's been real good is this study on Ephesians. I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back here. I'm just telling you that I've read the book of Ephesians probably 100 times in my life. And this read-through, this six weeks, has been life-changing for me. What Paul has expressed has come through in colors that I have never seen before. It's, it's been amazing. And we have uh, uh, my wife Tammy to thank for that. We asked her what we should study on the backside of the soul healing, and she said Ephesians. So we said, okay. And here we are. It's been amazing. Thanks, honey. It was a good idea. Great idea. <clears throat> Adam was phenomenal last week. That's a difficult passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and he shed light on that in ways that we really, really needed. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate Adam and the way he um, uh, is a part of this uh, teaching team and Eric. And, and the gang that gathers. We, I don't know if you get together regularly. Um, Takash is a part of that. And Chase is a part of that. And John is a part of that. And uh, we talk extensively about these things. We're not one individual trying to interpret what the Bible means. It doesn't work very well that way. Uh, so here we are, chapter 6, and we're going to talk about a fairly familiar passage called the, uh, we're talking about the armor of God. It's a military sort of battle, right, uh, metaphor, which may strike your sensibility uh, different than the person next to you, right, when you think about uh, war and military and armor and things like that. Uh, you may have an aversion to that, which is very understandable. You may get an adrenaline uh, pump from that. We're, we're all different. Uh, but there is no way around the fact that this imagery is aggressive in nature. It's a little bit challenging to think about in many ways. Like it or not, Paul is saying there is something coming after you. And you need to be ready. And the answer isn't to run. And I will, I will make this argument. Running is an excellent option in many situations that we don't use often enough. Trouble is coming, just run. You see it coming the other way, just run. I remember walking with Tammy, I don't know where we were, in some town we weren't a part of, and it always feels a little less safe in a town you're not aware of. We were walking along, and it was a little bit dark, and there were three dudes coming the other way, and I suddenly realized it just felt a little bit vulnerable. And I remember whispering to Tammy, I'm faster than you, so you stay and fight. I'll run for help. <clears throat> it didn't come to that. Uh, we just walked right by him. It was all fine. Running is a great option, but God, uh, Paul's not saying that here. He's saying, stand. He's saying, get ready for something. Be ready to hold fast to what? To who you are. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We've said it throughout. Paul is saying one thing again and again and again through the book of Ephesians and all of his letters, be who you are. It's just not easy to do. The world's trying to get you to not be who you are. And Paul's saying, get ready. Get dressed. Getting dressed is, it's an integral part of who we are. Every single person in this room is dressed uniquely and differently. And you actually chose the clothes that you're wearing right now. And for some of you, it's, it's dubious why you would have chosen what you did. But <laughs> you did. You did. Every, you did it unique. And I, saw, I started thinking, this is probably a recent thing that we all look so different. I thought, I can think of black and white photos from the 1920s where all the guys are dressed exactly the same and all the women are dressed exactly the same. So I looked at a couple of those photos. They're not. They aren't. They, they're very similar, but everybody's got their own little twist on what they're wearing. Some different way they do their tire or their, or their hair, what's in their hair, or the way they wear their jacket, open or close. Or all, it, 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 it has always been 
a unique part of the human condition that we dress ourselves in a unique way that probably sends a message as well. This is who I was in, when I was 23 years old. And it was my plan to be right there since I was eight years old. That was the day I soloed that aircraft. And I admit, I, right before you right now, I loved that identity right there. I was more in love with the identity than I was with flying, actually. I wanted to be a military aviator since I was eight. It's a unique identity. It's a specialized camaraderie. I'll tell you right now, it's the wrong identity. You can get rid of that, please. Um, <laughs> it's the wrong armor. It's military, but it ain't anything close to what Paul's talking about here. And here we are, right? We've got to put it in context. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, we're all about what it is to be in him, to be in Christ, to be saved by him, to be uh, led by him, to be protected by him, to be assured by him, to be affirmed uh, by him, to be identified by him. His resurrection made it very, very clear beyond a shadow of a doubt to Paul, and it should to us as well, that the only life worth living is the one that is swept up in him. Paul was marked by faith, not by works. Paul was in him. His thoughts, his emotions, he's a wonderful example. His attitudes, his actions, his hopes were entirely caught up in him. And the question we ask ourselves at the end of those three chapters is, am I? I ask you, are you entirely swept up in him? Is your identity predominantly made, structured, built, perceived as a part of this new humanity that has started and is growing that flows out of him, the one that Paul's demonstrating and describing. You are, you are, <laughs> if being who you are in Christ feels like a battle. If being who you are, if being who God's called you to be, if, if walking out your faith is a battle, you probably are in him and growing in him. If you don't feel that tension, I, I would guess, I would, I would doubt if you are. It's a, it's, an, it's a battle. It's not passive. You lose who you are if you're not fighting for who you are. In chapters four and five and even into six, the imagery expands our understanding of what it is to be in him to this communal thing. This body, this, it's, it's being part of the Jesus people. The identity, your identity in Christ is not strictly individual. It is corporate. It consists of individuals. But it is us. The calling that we are to be worthy of walking out is a calling to become the people of God more and more. I, use, I think I used this illustration with you of the big head on the little stick figure body. That's the church. The head of Jesus, the head of the church is perfect. It's, it's, it's fully grown. The body of Christ is a stick figure. We're struggling to grow up, the scriptures say, Paul says, into the head. Together, our identity is to be the body of Christ with him as the head. It's what four and five begin to lay out for us. 
It's an entirely new order. It is, Christianity is not about improving the old humanity. That's a humanistic point of view, that humans can improve themselves. Jesus calls us into an utterly new nation, a new space. We are a new humanity, a new order, empowered by God's ever upward pull. Remember, the same power that raised him from the dead raises the body of Christ that is the church. <clears throat> the same power. We need it. We can't grow into the body we are intended to grow apart from the power of God. But God says, I have it for you, and I will, and I can grow you up. But it's a battle. We are to be unified. You could say our primary objective as a called people is to stay together. We know how hard that is. On many fronts. Paul says, live in him. Recognize you are part of a whole, a new humanity, and it is a battle to stay together. But stay together. You're flawed, but you're called to grow together into the head. And now here we are, chapter six. Paul describes a key characteristic and a metaphor illustrating this new humanity. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. We're back to this power thing again. I don't know if we ever really taught that as well as we could. You need to keep digging into what that means. But here it is again, the power of God and the power of those working against this new humanity. The powers of God and the powers working against God show up in your life, in our life, intended to obscure your identity, to separate you from your calling, to divide you. The old humanity and its methods intend to knock the new humanity down. That's what's going on. You have to excuse me for the coughing every now and then. <coughs> Getting over some stuff. Not contagious anymore, rest assured. I wouldn't be here. The old humanity and its methods intend to knock the new humanity down. That's what's going on. Just like any dysfunctional system does. Any, any healthy move inside of a dysfunctional system tries to get knocked down. Why is that? You can't promote it. You can't award, reward it. You can't highlight it because if that's healthy, oh, I have to admit my own dysfunction. So the dysfunctional world, the old humanity is always going to try to knock down the new. Otherwise, it condemns itself. Paul's warning us here. The world will be coming at you from all angles. Thank you. Appreciate you. Paul's warning. The world will be coming at you from all angles, promising you other places to belong. This is what the world's doing. But with every intention of using you and your resources for their purposes. The world's going to come along and say, hey, why don't you belong over here? We need you over here. Love for you to do this. And they'll pay you to be a part of their belonging with promises of identity, 
or prominence or protection. You can see this, right? You can feel this in the world. You can feel the invitations, right? You can feel it in every marketing ploy that there is, every company. I've told you this. Paul's told you this. You're going to be living one of two ways. You're going to be living from an identity or you're going to be in search of an identity. There's only two choices. And Paul's saying again and again and again, be in him, be together, stay together. It's going to be a battle. Put on, he says in verse 11, chapter 6, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says it again in 13. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. The days are evil. They are. There's no reason to really over-spiritualize that, although it seems entirely spiritual. The days are evil. Your new humanity, your identity is an upstream battle. That's what that means. He's saying in as many ways as he can, the world's working against you to live out of who you are. The days are against you. Not every day is an overt attack on who you are, but when those days come, and they do and they will, that's not the time to start getting into your armor. We do tend to live like firefighters. Right? We wait till the fire erupts and then we start getting into our stuff. It'd be better to live like an aviator. We get up in the morning and zip that bag on and then you're ready for the day. It was actually one of my favorite things. I didn't have to decide on what I was going to wear ever. It's one of the best things about being in the military, you know? A lot of blue in the Air Force, though. I got sick of polyester blue. But I'm telling you, we need to just zip it on. We need to just put it on. He's saying, look, get it on now. Don't wait. It's a battle. And the day's going to come. And the attack is going to come. And you got to be ready. Against who is this battle? We, we, it, it's so hard to get your arms around this. Right? Listen to what he says. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is that? It's pretty hard to know. Who, who is this? Rulers, authorities, dark powers, spiritual forces, heavenly realms. It's actually easier to think about who it's not. Who is our struggle not against? Flesh and blood. Listen to this. This is a pretty, pretty significant thing. This is our battle is not against flesh and blood. <clears throat> the enemy of God's people is never another human. Let that sink in. The enemy of God's people is never another human. Or a human institution, because a human institution is just an expansion of a human or a group of humans. It seems like our battle is against other humans because other humans are influenced by evil, by darkness. But our battle is not against other humans. Think about this in the opposite way, in the way that we're trained. The enemy of the old humanity, right, just general standard human beings, not swept up in him, not living out a new identity, that old, that old humanity, 
The enemy is almost exclusively other people. In a, in a materialistic worldview, where what, what you see is all that there really is, that there's no transcendence about life. There's no transcendent evil. There's no transcendent good. It's just what you see. As a, as a worldview of materialism takes root, which we live in, we're saturated in a materialistic world. It says what matters is what you can see and what you can do and what you can produce and how you can perform. Inside of a materialistic human view, what is inevitable is another fight. It's, it's coming. Another cancellation, another riot, another war. Why? Because the only location for badness or for evil or the organization of it or an ideology is a person. What, where else do you turn? Are you with me? If there's no transcendent evil, no transcendent good, no spiritual realms, then badness is in other people. And so you got to knock them down. You got to knock them out. You got to take them out. The divisions that we see in the world that we live in, number one, are not new. We see it better than we ever used to. The inability to get on without a fight within a world that has made so much progress shouldn't be a surprise. It should just prove the point. There's really no reason we shouldn't be getting along at this point. Solve so many problems. We have all the information. There's so much training. Why are we still fighting? Because there's no progress. There's no technology. There's no clean energy. There's no political party. There's no meditation. There's no sensitivity training. There's no religion that can solve the necessity to blame and eventually try to control or eliminate other people. Another way to know if you're in the wrong battle is you'll be cheered on when you fight. You'll be rewarded, even funded for your win. The world knows no other way to knock down others than to knock down others or organizations to rid the world of its badness. And Paul says, that's not who we're fighting. You're not fighting one another. Jesus' new humanity is called away from that insanity. We are never to fight other people, right? Okay, that's not the same as disagreeing. That's not the same as having a conversation. That's not the same as engaging intensely about something. But we don't fall into the trap that if I can beat this, defeat this, kill this, shoot this, control this, that life will get better and that I will live out my identity. That's not the battle. The new humanity, Paul's saying, your, your job is, your, your, your calling is to conjoin, to connect, not only with just one another. Your, your job is to bring unity to the world. Lie down and be the bridge between the enemies at your expense. Fall in the gap for reconciliation. Lose so that others might win. Unify no matter what the situation. Don't fight each other. Everyone was made in the image of God and he's saying, stop. It doesn't work. You can't get rid of what you want to get rid of by get rid of people. 
stay unified, and you leave evil stranded. Do you see that? If I don't fight you, evil is stranded, has no place to show up. Evil shows up in disunity. It shows up in control. It shows up in those spaces. If we don't do it, if we bring unity wherever we go, evil is stranded. Oddly, not fighting is a battle. Staying unified is a battle. Get ready. Yet, evil, darkness, powers will still be, they'll still be knocking even if you're not fighting with others. It's still there. That's the wrong place to go to battle the evil, but the evil is there. When you take on the identity of Christ and you follow him in this world, there are gonna be lies coming to you about who you are. Lies about who you are in him. Lies that say you're not doing a very good job, you're not in him. There's gonna be enticements about a better, more exciting place to belong. There's gonna be temptations to quash and press down and control others. Shame and guilt are gonna push you into a relentless effort to earn God's favor and you won't be gravitating toward Jesus, you'll be gravitating away. Doubt is going to lurk to steal your faith and try to teach you who you are from your weaknesses and your cyclical sinfulness. It's there. Be ready, Paul says. Be ready. You're going to be <laughs> enticed to fight. Others don't, but be ready for the battle. What is this armor? Myriad sermons have been tried and preached and bring attachments of particular significance to each one of these elements of the armor of God. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness, the truth of righteousness, your feet are fitted with the readiness comes from the gospel of peace, the rest that comes from the gospel. You have, you have this truth and this righteousness and this rest and the shield of faith, uh, which extinguishes these arrows from the evil one. We have the helmet of salvation, the spirit, which is the word of God. What's going on here? What's Jesus saying to put on? Listen to just a few verses, mostly from the from the Apostle John. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. We know this. Jesus is the truth. Paul says this uh, in, to, to the church in Corinth. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus is our peace. The writer in Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it is in his trust and in his faith that we find reconciliation with God. 
our faith in the one who put all of his faith in God. Jesus is our faith. He's our salvation. God loved the world so much he gave his only son. Whoever believes won't perish of eternal life. Right? Jesus is our salvation. In the beginning, remember this, when John starts his, his um, gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word uh, was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and his dwelling among us. <laughs> Jesus is the word of God, the final word of God. And he sent his spirit into the world. When you read through the armor of God, Paul is saying again and again and again, basically the same thing. Put on Jesus. Buckle him around your waist. Put him on your breastplate. Put him, uh, fit, fit his feet, uh, fit your feet upon him. Have a shield of faith of Jesus. The, the helmet of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. <laughs> Just put on Jesus. Paul's beginning where he started. This whole thing is about being in him. Where did Paul find this armor? I've got a few minutes left here. This is, when you, when you have a chance, read through um, Isaiah 59 again. I'm going to read one little part here for you. <clears throat> this is Isaiah. He's a prophet. He's talking to the people of God while they're in exile. You know, they, they, they feel abandoned by God, although it was them that abandoned God. Kicked them out. Now they're stuck. They're in another place, and there's no practices of God. And, and Isaiah is lamenting for the people of God. He's saying, look, in chapter, in chapter 59, I'm reading bits and pieces from 9 through 21. He says, justice is so far from us, and righteous doesn't reach us. We look for light, but it's dark. We look for brightness, but we walk in the shadows. We blind, uh, we're blind and we grope around along the wall. We're feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. <laughs> Isaiah's like, this is like the beginning of creation. This is like before God brought the chaos, brought life to the chaos brought light to the darkness. Like we are nowhere. We are, we're so lost. He's like, we growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We're not even people. We're like animals. We look for justice, but we find none. We look for deliverance, but it's far away. Isaiah's lamenting for the people of God. Where are you? And why are they in this situation? Isaiah's like, you know, for our offenses are many in your sight. We did this to ourselves. Our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. We see our rebellion and our treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, inciting revolt, oppression. Yeah, right? We're fighting. Lies. We're believing lies. Justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth, you, you, these words sound familiar has stumbled into the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil becomes prey. And then the Lord looked down and he was displeased that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Isaiah was an amazing prophet. And when you read through Isaiah, he foreshadowed the Messiah like none other. He's foreshadowing it even here. God looked down and, and there was no redeemer. 
No, Jesus. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. God stretched out his own arm and achieved salvation. Out, he, his own righteousness and sustained him. <laughs> Listen to this. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. God dressed himself up in the character of himself. And then here, Isaiah calls upon the imagery of the Redeemer. And he says, the Redeemer will come. As for me, this is my promise, this is my covenant. My spirit, who is on you, will not depart from you. And my words, and I'm paraphrasing, will be with you for generations. <laughs> Where did Paul get the armor? It's God's armor. It's God's armor that Paul is asking us to put on. It's God himself. God took his armor, he took who he was, and he put it into play in Jesus. It's God's armor, original armor, and it's extended and supplemented by himself in Jesus. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth, Jesus, buckled around your waist. The breastplate of righteousness, Jesus, in place, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, Jesus. Take my armor, God says, that I've given and brought to fruition in Jesus and just put it on. The one very offensive, active, the offensive, active piece of this entire armor is the voice of God himself. The sword is the spirit, which is the word of God. Who wins the day in the battle? Is the armor gonna help us win the day? It's a bit defensive. He's saying, be who you are. Remember who you are in him. Remember the truth. Remember your righteousness. Enjoy the rest of the gospel. Carry the shield of faith that protects you forever in who you are. Remember you have a helmet of salvation that guards your head. I will speak and take care of the battle. He wins the day, not us. We do our part to be who we are in Jesus, and he advances the kingdom by his word. He draws new ones near. He extinguishes the darkness. That's not our job. All right, hero shot again. <clears throat> this armor, entirely unable to secure my identity. It couldn't provide cover for my immaturities, inexperience in handling intense pressure or the physicality that my frame could not endure, required to endure the disorientations of flying. The, the restless onslaught of comparison. Less than a month after that dream come true, that solo flight, my dream was shattered and the only identity I ever longed for was gone. A month after that. I was, I was so lost, <laughs> so lost. I was shuttled off to Texas where within days I intersected with a church plant that recognized Jesus in me. And I've spent three decades learning how to live 
with this new identity, to be in him. The armor of God doesn't make me or you something that you're not. It allows me, it allows you the privilege to walk with God himself, contribute in spite of who I am to the flourishing of a new humanity. That's the invitation. It isn't to be a great you. It's for him to take you into battle with others and win the day. I, like you, have a long way to go, but we can be a part of the flourishing of a new humanity to infuse God into the world. It is him living. It is his voice. It is his spirit, not me. Paul covered this in Galatians so succinctly. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I died to my military aviator identity. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The not life I now live in the body. I'm speaking for you, church. We live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me, let me give you an example. Okay, so this, if you've been out to the Franz Road property, they've been digging a moat around the castle for us. <clears throat> the whole intent is to, add, to get water to the building in enough quantity that we can run a fire suppression system. So it has to be a lot of water. So they've been digging for days. It's a massive hole in the ground. And they finally found the pipes that they need and I, they hooked our little pipe up to the big city pipe. And then they let us know that there's no water in the big city pipe, that it's a stub. It doesn't have water. It never will have water. And I'm like, okay, mistakes happen. Yeah, but the cost of doing it again is on us. I'm ready to fight right now, bro. I'm like... And I thought to myself, this is, a, this is I, I need to understand what my identity in Christ is here and what it is to unify. And I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, if I can't figure this out, I got no reason. I got nothing to say to you. If I don't know how my identity in Christ matters in this water main issue, what are we doing? But I, I couldn't figure it out. So I called Todd. I said, Todd, uh, can you help me? Absolutely. He's helped me for 20 years. I don't know how to make this happen. Here's what we came up with. First of all, remembering that we are about unity with one another. It was a thing to actually, part of it was to call Todd. I am not in this alone we don't fight alone. We don't do what we're called to do. We don't even dress alone. We, we, we are in this armor together. That was the first good step. You, you want to know how to live out your identity when you face a situation where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen right here. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Get with somebody. That's why we get in a small group. That's why we say have biblical community. This accountability. We're teaching one another. Todd and I together, we're working through, okay, how does this work? And we started thinking about the heart started thinking about the truth in my own heart. Put on the belt of truth. What's my motive here? What's going on? Why am I so angry? Why am I wanting to fight this? 
Someone told me, hey, that's just the way it goes. And I was like, no, this is not just the way it goes. And I said, I don't know why everybody's accepting this. If you call someone and say, I need internet in my house, and they come out and they hook up internet to your house, and you don't have internet to your house, and they say, that's because we plugged your house internet into a big internet wire that doesn't have internet on it. And they say, so do you have to pay for that? And then we'll try again. No one would accept that. No one would accept that. But I'm like, what's going on inside of me? Why am I so upset? What's my desire here? What, what, what's my motive? Why, why would I, I, there's people to call, no doubt. We're gonna be on the phone, but why? What, what's my role? What am I doing in this conversation with someone I've never talked before? Am I trying to win? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Am I trying to save money? Yeah, y'all have given so much. When they say, I need another 10,000 from you, I'm saying, this single mom right over here scraped together everything. She's good to give me that, to give us that. And you're saying it's, it's, she's got to cover that? That's just infuriating to me. It's like, what is going on inside of me? Why will I be having this conversation? And I realized the breastplate of righteousness, which is my, uh, our holiness, it's our, it's our sanctification, right? It's the process of transformation. Oh, yeah, these guys are so wrong, but I have so far to go. This, this situation is provided by God for my transformation. He's like, Mike, I'm just not done growing you up yet. Look at you. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Lord. You, you have worked. I, I got to, you're right. You're working on me. You can, you, feel, you can feel the anxiety inside of me right now, right? And God said, I've given you peace. You have gospel. You know it. You, you can rest. This building's gonna get done. I'm gonna provide the resources. This church is gonna go. You're gonna reach people that need me. I got this. Whew, okay. Helmet of salvation. You start thinking about eternity. You start thinking about the future. You start thinking about where our hope is and the bigger picture. And the person on the other side of that line that I want to fight with, they may not have it. But we as a church might begin a relationship where they find their way back to God. <sighs> All right. Shield of faith. I'm not a failure because I didn't see this coming. I just think, man, I could have just thrown a rock down there and hit that pipe and heard it go ping. I would say, there's no water in there. <laughs> man, think about that. Wasn't prepared for that contingency. I'm letting the church down. I says, hey, where's your shield of faith? You're mine. You are mine. You're my boy. You're right where I want you. We're good. This is my identity. 
My identity is not in the success of that building. My identity is not in the success of getting water into that building. Okay, God. Okay, God. I got you. Fighting off the sword, the voice of God, the mission. I don't want to do harm. I don't want to do harm in this situation. I want to help. This person needs help. They've screwed up and they have an out. They screwed up. I may have some way of meeting them there. So I pray. I realize it's not by faith. It's not by sight. It's by faith. This is an old humanity. This is a new humanity. We're part of something completely different. And Todd and I work through that. And when Monday comes and Tuesday comes, I'm going to be interacting in that space in my new humanity, not my old one. Let me encourage you, folks. Hang on to these words. Truth, righteousness, peace, salvation, faith, voice of God. Put it on. Put it on. It's who you are. It will allow you to be who you're intended to be. Don't finish this to messages go so much better when Tammy's playing the organ behind it. It just feels like I nailed it. I didn't nail it. I didn't nail anything. I'm just sharing what God shares. I'm just telling you what Paul has said to us and is calling us to do. The command to take up the armor of God is a summons to the community as a whole. Taking up the armor of God is a communal practice integrally tied to the unity of the church. Paul wants you to know that the schemes of the slander, the methods of evil are gonna be aimed at our unity, our mutual interdependence as a new humanity, new humanity, which is why we need to be prepared. At the end of whatever challenges face us, church, the goal is to be who we are and to be together at the end of it, unified, making a difference in these communities. Get ready. Get ready. God, we're not ready. We're not ready. We want to be ready. Help us to live as you've taught us through your servant, Paul. Thankful for him. Thankful for the church hearts and the pieces and the gifts and the sacrifices, God. You're beautiful in us. Help us to keep putting you on. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand together and leave together. It's been great being with y'all. Love you. That's literally it. <laughs>